The Supreme Court has just ruled affirmative action policies at universities unconstitutional. This is great news, but what does it really mean? Also, Trump's indictments. What are they? And what do those really mean? And Chrissy Teigen announced that she has a new baby that has just been birthed via surrogate. I will share my thoughts on that at the end of this episode. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Good Ranchers. Go to GoodRanchers.com. Use code Allie at checkout. That's GoodRanchers.com. Code Allie. Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Thursday. Hope everyone's had a wonderful week. All right, we're going to get into some new stuff that we have been uh, not putting off for a while, but there's just been some other subjects that we have uh, wanted to talk about. I wanted to bring Steve Dayson to give us his hard-hitting analysis of everything that's going on. So we'll get into that, but I'm going to set us up with some context of what's going on with these Trump indictments. Before we get into that, however, exciting announcement that you guys have been waiting for ever since I posted, if you're watching this on YouTube, ever since I posted these shirts um on my Instagram and said, these are just for the women going to Young Women's Leadership Summit. I got a million messages from you guys saying, oh my gosh, please sell these online. Please sell these online. And I knew something that I couldn't tell you then. And that was that I knew that we were going to try to make it possible to sell these online for everyone. So I've got this and we'll put up some graphics, but I do have, I've got the Razor Respectful Ruckus one right here. Um, so this one says, if you're just listening, do the next right thing. And then on the back, it says, in faith with excellence and for the glory of God, which is something that we say all the time. It's kind of an addition to an Elizabeth Elliot quote that she always said, do the next right thing for the glory of God. We added some words to that. We love Elizabeth Elliot, unrelatable. And then the Razor Respectful Ruckus, uh, ruckus that's just an alliteration that we came up with. Um, and then the back is super cute too, but we've got some graphics that we will put up on YouTube. The uh, brand, since a lot of you are asking, I think it's, it doesn't even say because it just says relatable on the tag, which is cool, but I think it's Bella Canvas. Uh, I think that's what it is. So it's a nice thin material, but it's really high quality. I'm wearing an XL, but that's also because I'm seven months pregnant. You'll hear Steve Day say that I'm eight months pregnant in our interview. I'm not eight months pregnant. I'm seven months pregnant. Um, a little over, but uh, so I'm wearing an XL. My husband will probably wear an XL, which leads to my next part of this announcement is that Relata Bros, we have stuff for you. These are kind of girly, kind of a girly design, uh, girly color, uh, but... We have the Do the Next Right Thing t-shirts in a cream with black writing and then a black with white writing. So they're nice and masculine. The text is even masculine just for you, Relata Bros, because I had been getting feedback from y'all saying, hey, where's the merch for us? Just because we're in the minority doesn't mean that we shouldn't get merch. So there you go. All available on AllieMerch.com. AllieMerch.com. I know that you guys are excited about this. I'm excited for you. These are absolutely my favorite shirts that we have. And they're really special because these are phrases that I say a lot. Raise a respectful ruckus for the things that matter. Do the next right thing. Um, we have so many phrases, so many phrases that we have come up with 
on this show, toxic mommy culture, cult of self-affirmation, politics matter because policy matters because people matter. I love sayings. I love phrases. And I especially love alliteration. So here you go. Take advantage. AllieMerch.com. They're already selling like hotcakes. So make sure that you get yours should be at your house in a few days. Uh, All right. Let me give you some context. Let me give you some context of what we're about to talk about with Trump. And then we've got some stories after the Steve Dace interview, too, that I want to make sure that we get to. Um, But because he kind of dives right into his analysis, I want to make sure that we know what's going on. We talked about last week, I think, that this just hasn't been something that we've been following closely. We just hear, oh, Trump's indicted. Trump's indicted again. This is really bad. There's a two-tier justice system. If you're a progressive, you're not going to bear the brunt of the law the way that a conservative is. Basically, this is Joe Biden trying to go after his potential uh, political rival in the 2024 election. This is terrible. But like, what exactly is going on? So we're going to look behind the scenes when we talk to when we talk to Steve, he's going to give us also like what I think is a very insightful and fair analysis of Trump and then Governor DeSantis and what their chances are, what they bring to the table, what some of the weaknesses are, but also in talking about like why is this happening to Donald Trump and what does it actually mean? What is its real impact? So let me get into some of the details, uh, the details of uh, these cases in just a second. Let me go ahead and pause. I'll tell you about our first sponsor for the day, and that is Seven Weeks coffee, one of my favorite sponsors because of not just the amazing product that they sell, but also what they stand for. So seven weeks coffee ships the coffee right to your front door, really high quality stuff. But the reason that they're called seven weeks coffee is because at seven weeks, the baby in the womb is the size of a coffee bean. And this company is giving a portion of every sale to pregnancy centers across the country. They have donated over $100,000 in their first year to pregnancy centers, and they're now supporting over 500 of these centers. These centers are providing material resources, spiritual guidance, adoption help, parenting classes, Medicaid enrollment, so many, so, so many resources, so much support for these moms and dads who are in need. So that's seven weeks mission. And they also... Uh, they also sell great coffee that we love in our home. So make sure you support them. No more supporting Starbucks and those companies like that that hate your values. Go to sevenweekscoffee.com. Use promo code Ali at checkout for 10% off your order. Sevenweekscoffee.com. Promo code Ali for 10% off your order. Sevenweekscoffee.com. Code Ali. All right. So let's talk about these Trump indictments just briefly. I don't need to give you a lot of details about what's going on. Steve is going to provide some of those for us. And you'll hear him say at the top of our conversation, don't look at media coverage of this. But Politico does lay this out really easily because there's just confusion. Like how many indictments, how many investigations are going on? Where are they? Why are they happening? So let me just break this down a little bit according to Politico because they do give us some good context. Uh, For the first 234 years of the nation's history, no American president or former president was indicted. That changed in March 2023 when former president Donald Trump was charged with 34 felony counts in connection with hush money payments to a porn star that would be 
Stormy Daniels. Less than three months later, he was indicted again, this time on 37 felony counts for mishandling classified documents and impeding investigators and two other ongoing criminal probes, both related to 2020 election interference, may prompt further indictments of Trump and his allies. So the classified document case, federal prosecutors led by special counsel Jack Smith have accused Trump of taking highly sensitive national security documents when he left the White House in January 2021. You'll remember when Mar-a-Lago was raided. They said it was because of these classified documents. A lot of people on the right were saying this is absolutely ridiculous. There was no need for this raid. They were just trying to show off. They were trying to intimidate Trump, trying to intimidate Trump supporters. Apparently, there have been other presidents, other politicians who have taken classified documents or haven't handled them exactly uh, correctly. Um, But there has been uh, some audio leaked about this where Trump allegedly said, as president, I could have declassified it. Now I can't. Um, And adding that the document he was displaying to others was still a secret. So he was showing these classified documents that he had tomorrow. They had at Mar-a-Lago to people and saying, you know, saying things that he, I guess, shouldn't have said. So, um, He has been indicted on June 9th, 2023. That indictment was unsealed, charging Trump with the 37 uh, felonies. And uh, Trump pleaded not guilty at an arraignment in Miami on June 13th, 2023. No further court dates have been scheduled. And then if we look at the other one of the other indictments, the hush money case, this is the New York state court. Trump is accused of falsifying business records in connection with a payoff to Stormy Daniels, uh, who claimed that she had a sexual encounter with him by buying Daniels silence. The payoff avoided a possible sex scandal in the final weeks of the 2016 presidential campaign. Michael Cohen, Trump's personal attorney at the time, paid $130,000 to Daniels in October 2016, according to prosecutors. And then Trump reimbursed Cohen. On March 30th, 2023, a Manhattan grand jury voted to indict Trump. Remember, I had my dad on and we talked about whether he was going to be perp walked. Uh, five days later, local prosecutors unveiled the criminal charges, 34 felony counts of violating New York law on corporate record keeping. Uh, Steve is going to also tell us what he thinks the likelihood is of these things actually going through, um, of these indictments actually succeeding. Uh, The Georgia election interference investigation, this is in the Georgia state court. In December 2020 and January 2021, Trump sought to overturn the result of the presidential election in the state of Georgia. Two recounts confirmed that President Joe Biden narrowly prevailed in the race for the state's 16 electoral votes. But Trump and his allies, Politico says, spread lies about voter fraud, urged Georgia officials to reverse Biden's win and plotted to send fake electors to Washington on January 2nd, 2021. Trump called Georgia Secretary of State and urged him to find 11,780 votes for Trump. Uh, This is still just an investigation. So this is not to the indictment level. I can't remember if I accidentally said indictment. This is just an investigation. In February 2021, Willis opened the criminal investigation in January 23. After hearing evidence for seven months, a special grand jury released a report recommending potential indictments. Um, And then there's the January 6th insurrection investigation, uh, which is still just an investigation. They're investigating federal prosecutors prosecutors uh, are investigating Trump's attempts to subvert the results of the 2020 election, including his role in the Capitol, quote unquote, insurrection. I call it a riot on January 6th. So that's what's going on right now.
investigations, indictments, more things coming down the pipeline. What is really going on? Why does this matter? Um, And then you'll also hear, uh, you'll also hear at the end of our conversation, just some brief commentary on the Hunter Biden situation, the Biden crime family and the Hunter laptop, something else that we've been talking about for a long time. So there is a lot of information, a lot of details when it comes to the Hunter laptop situation. He is now being charged with tax evasion, gun charges, and he is going to have his first court appearance on July 26th. Rather than get into all of that right now, because I want to give you sufficient detail, I'm probably going to wait until around the date of the court appearance to kind of lay out the timeline of everything that's happened, why people are saying that this is a two-tiered justice system, or maybe we'll get into it um, in the next couple of weeks. Maybe we'll bring a guest on who has been following this closely. But rather than laying this all out right now, since I didn't have time to get analysis from Steve, I'll just say he's being charged with some bad things uh, that's really just scratching the surface of everything that he seems guilty of. And actually Biden's President Biden's involvement in all of this is a huge part of the story, too, that the media is trying to say, oh, no, that's just a father's unconditional love, which is ridiculous. So we'll get into all of that in detail in the coming weeks, but you will hear Steve talk about it just slightly at the end of our conversation. Um, All right. Like I said, we've got a couple stories that I want to talk about independently after Steve has to leave and prepare for his show. Before we get into the next conversation, I'll just go ahead and tell you about our next sponsor for the day, which is Good Ranchers. This is another company like my last sponsor that I just told you about that is supporting the things that you and I support. This is run by Christians. This is run by pro-lifers, people who love this country. That's part of why they started this company. They really felt a calling to start a meat company that supports American farms and ranchers because most of the meat that you're getting at the grocery store, it's not only over overpriced and not very good quality, but it also might tell you that it's made in the USA. And what it actually means is that it's being processed and packaged in the USA, but it's being imported from overseas. So if you want to support this industry of farming and ranching in the United States that has really been decimated by terrible policies here, then you need to get all of your meat from Good Ranchers. They've got craft beef better than organic chicken. They've got seafood. It'll all show up on your front door on dry ice. And if you subscribe, then you get that box of meat every month. That's what we do. It makes our life so much easier and healthier as well. So get your meat from Good Ranchers. Go to GoodRanchers.com. Use code Allie at checkout. When you do, you'll get $30 off your order. GoodRanchers.com, code Allie for that discount. GoodRanchers.com, code Allie. All right, Steve, thanks so much for joining us again. Uh, Break it down for us. What is going on with Trump and these indictments and what do they really mean? Uh, You know, here's one thing I would say to audiences like ours. Don't pay attention to any media coverage of these criminal cases at all. I mean, what 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 happened just earlier this week uh, where uh, CNN obtains the uh, the yeah. audio uh, of the most incriminating evidence entered into the indictment in Miami against Trump. 
And then the next day, Catherine Herridge from CBS comes out and says, well, that's actually not even a key part of the evidence, even though it's in the indictment. And then kind of backtracks that report the next day. And and we're still sitting here, by the way, at the time that you and I are, are, are having this conversation on Thursday morning. It has been 72 hours and still the, the Trump legal team has yet to file for a mistrial or a motion to dismiss with prejudice because of the leaking of information uh, from an indictment to the media. The whole thing is so convoluted. I don't know you can trust anybody uh, to tell the truth about the other side uh, on a consistent basis. So if you're looking for the truth, I would really at this point just look at from a legality standpoint, what is actually filed and in the court documents themselves and then what the courts actually do. Um, If you look in Miami, Judge Cannon has shown to be at least somewhat sympathetic to Trump so far, and by sympathetic meaning like not out to, you know, martyr him, so actually maybe uh, practicing law. Uh, And so I I think that there's a chance for for the former president to get some form of a fair trial there. I think it's possible that you could find a a couple of patriots in Miami-Dade County where DeSantis won last election and in 2020, Trump got about 46% of the vote, that if his attorneys have an IQ above 14, uh, they can probably get two or three jurors uh, on that bench to 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 hold firm against all the Karens uh, that uh, the Department of Justice will make sure gets appointed and maybe hang that jury. Uh, in Manhattan, he has no chance for a fair trial there. Uh, he got 12% of the vote. I mean, he'll be found guilty of being Donald Trump on a sunny day. Yeah. Uh, the same thing goes for the case that's still to be filed. Uh, and that's the most dangerous one, uh, Allie. That's the Department of Justice case that they're working on with January 6th and insurrection and the espionage, or, I'm sorry, that the espionage Act is the other case, but the uh, but insurrection and and the kinds of things that put a lot of his nonviolent uh, supporters uh, indefinitely detained since January sixth. Uh, they are working their way up the food chain, and I believe later this summer he will be indicted in that case uh, and uh, before the gulag that uh, Washington D.C. calls a jury. And I think that's the most problematic one for him moving forward for sure. How do you think this is going to affect his chances in the primary? Or, I mean, what does this even look like for him? I think these are questions that we have to be asking. And I, hey, when I got into this business, man, I never thought I would use the term I mean, my, my number one prime directive when I started my show was was to, to, you know, I was inspired by what Rush Limbaugh did with conservatism to bring it into the mainstream. And I was kind of hoping to do the same thing with a biblical worldview. I never thought that I'd be daily using terms like demonic in my analysis, however. And yet here we are. Uh, I also never thought I was going to say, hey, I think we really need to vet these candidates, uh, the, 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 the leading candidate right now. And what's his plan to stay out of prison? I, I just... Wasn't on the, you know, the, yeah. when, they, when I got the uh, conservative uh, broadcaster handbook over at the Talkers Convention, when I got into this business 15 years ago, there wasn't a chapter on how to handle that. So, I, you know, I, I don't know what to do with that, but I, I do think we need to find out. Um, I think the, the I think we need to ask questions, and he has, him, him and his team have to answer them, Allie. I mean, wh- how, what's it would be his plan? to run for office under, say, house arrest at Mar-a-Lago. He couldn't hold rallies, couldn't travel the country, because I think that's a distinct possibility. Um, what, are, what, 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 what legal strategy does his team have prepared for when he is found guilty of felonies because his name is Donald Trump and blue secretaries of state in, in key swing states like Michigan, Georgia, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Arizona? Two of those are – Wisconsin and Arizona are must-win states for Republicans in the next election. Cannot get to 270 probably without them.
And so when you when they get blue uh, blue secretaries of state that may say, you know, now that you're a convicted felon, I don't think you should be you should have ballot access because we have seen for a generation, Ali, Democrats just do things they they guess is probably unconstitutional and just dare us to find a judge somewhere to overturn it. Just this morning, it, it's taken 50 years. But finally, affirmative action, which is basically just cost shifting racism from one class to another, finally got struck down by the courts today. It's taken 50 years to do this. All right. And so that's their game plan. You know, if you can find a court to do it in the meantime, we'll just, you know, wreak havoc with what we want to do. And so go out there and play federal judge roulette on whether you can get on the ballot uh, in, in enough states to get to 270. What's the game plan for that? And then here's a here's the most uncomfortable question of them all. But, you know, you're eight months pregnant. I've got uh, three kids um, and uh, all, all, all of them are either adults or on the brink of adulthood. And so their, their futures are at stake up against a political party that wants to watch their futures end. And, we're, and, and you're asking me right now, the date today is June 29th. So we're, 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 we're 496 days away from the election. You are asking me right now to put my full faith and credit in Donald Trump, who's on his third marriage four bankruptcies, and on March 16th, 2020, had this country humming, and the minute Fauci and Burks walked into his office and said, you're going to kill two, two million people if you don't shut the country down, just ended his entire presidency and handed it to them, okay? You're asking me to trust that guy not to cut a deal with the feds next summer, next fall, after he's the nominee and the whole process is over that says, okay, you can stay out of prison for the rest of your natural life. Cause if you look at what he's on the hook for in, in Miami alone, he'd be in prison for the rest of his natural life. If found guilty on even a couple of those counts, you're going to, you're going to, I'm going to, you're asking me to, and you're asking all of us, you're asking everyone with the sound of my voice to trust a guy who promised two women, he would stay married to him forever and didn't. And you're asking us at, at this age that he would not cut a deal with the feds and say, OK, then I have to drop out, never seek national office again. And I get to stay out of prison and have this scrubbed from my record. I, I'm not willing to you know, I, I love what Donald Trump did with his presidency until March 16, 2020. But asking me to trust him on that personal level, I'm not comfortable with it. We're unevenly yoked there. I think at least, Allie, we should say to him, we will we will make it so that the RNC does not forbid someone who is under indictment or convicted of being a nominee provided you sign some pledge that says under no circumstances will you drop out of the race no matter what they offer you maybe that's also not worth the paper it's printed on with him but at least it would be something and i think these are the kinds of questions that we need to be asking right now and his people need to be answering frankly you know, it really is amazing how popular he still is among Republican voters. I mean, he's leading the primary field, which is not all that surprising right now. DeSantis has pretty um, has pretty impressive numbers, too, but he is leading the pack. According to uh, an NBC voter poll in a hypothetical Trump Biden battle. President Biden came out on top with a near majority level, 49% to Trump's 45 uh, 45% support. Honestly, considering everything that Trump has been through, considering everything mm -hmm. that the media has thrown at Trump, considering everything that that Trump himself has actually done, all the unforced errors, that's pretty incredible that in this NBC poll, it's just one poll, but that he's coming out with apparently 45% support. I mean, honestly, that's kind of something beyond my own comprehension. I also I, I, I voted for him twice, supported a lot of what he did. 
But I didn't fully understand everyone's excitement and their enthusiasm about him in the 2016 primary. I didn't get it. And still now I have I have a little bit of trouble wrapping my head around how this guy is still leading the pack so drastically at this point in his career, not based on the indictment stuff, not based on the media stuff, because Republicans, you know, we can kind of uh, conservatives can see through that. But based on the COVID stuff that you just listed, based on the other things that make it difficult for us to trust him, it's pretty amazing that he still carries this much weight. If there's one thing you can say about Donald Trump and go back to the, uh, the problematic character issues that I just mentioned, you could turn that the other way, too. And you can say scandals, uh, failures that would have broken a lot of other men he has persevered through. Uh, I think if Donald Trump has one unique gift uh, within his, his, his portrait of masculinity, it is a tenacity to, to survive. And, and that's why we have seen him rise over and over again from the ashes, from the kinds of things that have ended the careers and, and, uh, and the ascensions of many others uh, of the okay. last era. Uh, now, his detractors will call that not tenacity, but shamelessness. Yeah. I suppose, it, I suppose if, is, he using, is he using that, if he's using that tenacity to enact policies you disagree with, it's shamelessness. If he's using that shamelessness to enact policies you agree with, it's tenacity, right? Yeah. Okay. I and, same thing and, with Joe Biden. I, I mean, he's overcome. Yes. He's overcome a lot of the accusations and That's substantive accusations yes. of lying, of making up all this stuff about his life. And I mean, he just keeps going, man. So yeah, it just just it depends on what you think of these people. I, I think August twenty fourth, when this is all said and done, um, from a political standpoint. And when when we get to next year's convention and we see who or whom is standing up there and giving the acceptance speech for the 2024 nomination for the Republican Party, I think August 24th is going to go a long way into determining that. I, I think mm -hmm. that if I think if Ron DeSantis is polling profile right now, we're, we're, we're the perception of it was better, but he goes on to the stage and it looks like he is not yet ready to even fit into King Saul's armor. That he's 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 mortally wounded there, uh, and it looks like because there's two King Sauls, Ali. There's the early King Saul that's the champion of the realm, and then there's the King Saul of latter years who gets swallowed up in his own narcissism and goes and visits the Witch of Endor. Okay, and so we're kind of trying to figure that out. And then on the other hand, if you want to follow the analogy the other way, you're looking at Ron DeSantis and what he did uh, in Florida with a which is not an insignificant proving ground. That is the largest swing totally. state in the union. It's the mm -hmm. it's the second largest governing stage in the country other than the White House. And um and and you're wondering, okay, is David ready to go into the Valley of Elah yet? Is that Shepherd David or is that King David? And one way to find out is to put them on a stage together and find out. And if they get on the stage together, and if Ron, if Ron DeSantis were polling better today, but got on that stage and it looked like he's the JV team and is not yet ready for prime time, it would flip the narrative overnight. Likewise, if they get on that stage and it looks like King David is ready to replace Saul and go down into the Valley of Elah and take on Goliath, it'll flip that narrative overnight as well. And, and I think that if I were advising the DeSantis team, I would tell them to game plan as if this might be your only chance at Trump. 
uh, that that if, if I were advising Donald Trump, I would tell him you have to go to that first debate. First of all, I think he wants to. That's too big of a spotlight to stay away from. I think you don't want to look at, you don't want to give DeSantis a free shot up against the other dwarf candidates there. And, and he now looks like the alpha male in front of 20 million people. So you need to go. But I would also tell him, if you go there and you punch him in the throat, you don't need to go back. You made your point. Don't do any more. We're done here. And I learned in Iowa when I was on the cruise campaign, we, we did a debate right before the, there were two debates right before the Iowa caucuses and in the penultimate one, Cruz really embarrassed Trump in that debate badly. And, and, and Trump stammered and had no comeback and then bothered to, didn't even bother to show up for the last debate. And that's when I knew we were going to win Iowa is when he didn't show up because I think that will happen mm-hmm. as well. I think if they, if they go into that debate and DeSantis makes it look like Trump has passed his prime, I don't think Trump will show back up again. Mm-hmm. And so if I were the DeSantis yeah. team, I would be, I would be prepping as if that might be my only crack at the old man. Yeah, I think that that is exactly right. I think that's a good analysis of trying to show DeSantis' strategy should be trying to show that he's past his prime, that he doesn't really understand mm-hmm. the issues. He's not really connected to what parents are feeling. That, And of course, I think that he should be punching from the right, whereas we've seen mm-hmm. Trump try to punch DeSantis from the left, like using the same kind of tactics that the left does and accusing him of being too radical when it came to abortion, too radical when it came to even, you know, the vaccine, which Trump himself still claims to be very proud of. Um, And so I think punching Trump from the right could be good. But you're right. If DeSantis comes across as JV team, which to Trump's credit, his campaign has tried to cast DeSantis as as, oh, he's just a little he's just a little brother. He's just a little annoying brother of Trump. And he's just getting in the way. Maybe it'll be his time later on. But he doesn't really know what he's doing yet. Yeah, that is I mean, as superficial as that might be, of course, we would like to think, no, people are really going to think think about the policies. People are really going to consider the history. That's not really what happens at the debates. You look at the debates and you think, how did these people make me feel? Do they make me feel emboldened? Do they make me feel strong? Do they make me feel like I could trust them, like I could follow them into battle or not? Um, and so I think that's I think that's a good analysis. That I mean, that's tough. That's tough for both of them because it could go either direction. Yeah. But it's a tough job. Allie, there's no, yep. this is the hardest job totally. on planet Earth, and only one person gets to hold it, you know? And so every every cycle, we ought to be like Heath Ledger's Joker, cracking the cue stick in half and saying, we're going to have tryouts. That's what's at stake. I mean, the future <laughs> of the country is at stake. The future of our children is at stake. And I have hated saying this my whole career. I have laughed at it, mock, as if the, the, electing Mitt Romney or John McCain was the most important election of my lifetime, okay? I hated that crap. But... <laughs> given That's where true. we're at right now i i mean i don't know what comes after they're castrating the kids the, the guidance counselors will suggest euthanizing them i i don't know we're, we're, at, we're at so many brinks right now ali i don't like i don't know what the next step down other than is bottom you know, yeah. hell, that's the next step is hell itself. Yeah. And and so I, I'm, I'm flirting with the idea for the first time, as much as I have pilloried this and panned it my whole career, that this next cycle might be the most important one of our lifetimes. I know this. It's the most important one of Trump's lifetime. If if so, if himself or someone sympathetic to him, that style of Republican does not win the next election, Allie, he is going to spend the rest of his natural life in prison. I promise you, that's where this is going. Yeah. So he needs someone that can that can pardon him, whether it's himself or someone else that can win. 
Yeah. My simplistic analysis that I've given that I gave a few weeks ago that a lot of people agree with, a lot of people have said, too, is simply that. I mean, I I understand that Trump is leading the primary field and that he's popular. I don't think that he can win against Biden. I don't know if he can even even if all of the if everything was in his favor, if everything was totally neutral and everything was very fair, I don't think that he could win against Joe Biden. I do think someone like Ron DeSantis could. I think, honestly, there are other candidates that can't win the primary that could probably win against Joe Biden. I think Tim Scott could probably yeah. win against Joe Biden. Nikki Haley. Provided Joe Biden is the candidate, of course. Y- yes. Provided he is the candidate. Yes, yeah. that's true. That's true. I think there's a lot of people that could win against Joe Biden. I think Trump is one of the only people who could not win against Joe Biden. Something else that kind of that worries me about Trump. You talked about his trustworthiness is, and some people like this. They see this as him championing their concerns too. But I think he is so caught up on his own personal vendettas, which I, you know, I can't really blame him for, but he's so concerned with how he's been treated and how Mm -hmm. he's been unfairly maligned that his only goal when he gets in office is to try to enact revenge on the people who have unfairly, you know, treated him, whatever. And he's not as concerned with the plight of everyone else who has supported him or the plight of conservatives or the plight of parents. I think that he is so Trump minded that that's going to be his main focus. And I like I really want him to kind of move past that and to say, okay, but how is everyone else being mistreated? How about these parents over here who are being cast as domestic terrorists? And I'm just not sure he has the the vision, the wide enough perspective to be able to see the importance of that. I think, you know, when you look at, I have said on my show many times over the years, Allie, the most destructive manifestation of human sin is the fragile male ego. Yeah. There, there has been no more destructive manifestation of human sin in the history of our species than the fragile male ego. And it's a razor's edge. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, what's the difference between a MacArthur who loses early in World War II and vows, I shall return and wants, and wants, and wants revenge on the Japs who did it to him and, and is, is single-minded in purpose to walk out of Manila, the victor later in the war, um, to uh, King Saul who goes and visits the witch of Endor, who goes to look for, uh, to extract uh, vengeance, uh, but in order to satiate his ego. And I think the the difference Mm -hmm. is to what end? Mm -hmm. To what end? Mm -hmm. And you have seen, and like, I'm like, for me, I love the idea of Donald Trump um, with, with, with a taste of blood in his mouth. And I'm someone that I don't like his personality most days. I find his branding and many of his branders beyond obnoxious. Okay, but I love the idea of a guy with a chip on his shoulder and something to prove. But there's two ways to execute this. There's the MacArthur way that I talked about, mm-hmm. and and he has demonstrated that a couple times. Yeah. Uh, the speech that he gave at CPAC, the speech he gave the other day at Faith and Freedom Coalition. I am your retribution. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I am your symbol. That's powerful messaging. Mm-hmm. Okay. True. Then there is the way he behaves a lot of the days in between those kinds of speeches. You know, he's over there doing poop lib videos on on Truth Social, dimly lit, you know, coming up with stupid nicknames for Ron DeSantis because he just can't believe Fox News covered his press conference again. That kind of stuff is, and it goes back to the, the good and bad of his presidency. The, the first fight of the Trump presidency, remember, is when he enlisted Sean Spicer to go after the media about how many people actually attended his inaugural compared to Obama's. Mm. And, and that's the thing. I want a guy with, I, I want a warrior with an ego. Give me one. But it, but it can't come with a ruler. 
if you get the if you get the the crude analogy I'm making here, that we're all just going to yeah. drop trow and measure ourselves all the time. It can't be about that. What to what end? Or is 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 the ego that someone has to pay for this? This injustice must be rectified, right? There's the Samson. In, in many respects, I've 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 compared Trump to Samson. I think biblically they are very similar. There's the Samson that has a a rewards card at the red light district with over in Canaan. He walks into the Canaanite brothel and it's like Norman cheers, Samson. They know who he is. Everybody knows him. All right. And then there's the Samson who tears down the temple of Dagon, the pillars of that temple to plunge the fish demon, uh, worshipers face down into the dirt. All right. And we saw Trump smash the idol of Roe v. Wade. We saw Trump smash the idol of, we have to deal with the Palestinian question to have Middle East peace. He said, no, we don't. And he was right. And then we have seen Trump um, also get smashed by his own insecurities and his own ego. He is a very Samsonite figure. And, and I think that also is very Saulian. And that's the difference. Uh, there are days where it looks like, okay, I can see why when the people went to the Lord and said, give us a king so he, we can be like everybody else. Saul, that's your king. That's a champion of the realm. And then there are the days that he visits the witch, the witch of Endor. He doesn't have a cohesive worldview. He's demonstrated that many times. His worldview is largely art of the deal. If you look at, you know, you know a tree by its fruit. Basically, his, art, his, his thing is, if I can make a deal, you can make a deal. There were a lot of sheiks in the Middle East, Alley, who pretended to care about Wahhabism when really they just wanted to make money. Trump knew that, called the bluff, and was able to get Mideast peace deal done. But then he tried to cut deals with Pelosi, Schumer, and, and they're like, those are demons. There's no deals to be made. They're yeah. here to end you. And, 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 and that's what Fauci and Burks and they tried to do with COVID. There was no deal to cut there. Hey, you know what, Fauci, you go out there and be the prime minister of Democrat America so we can save the country from this virus. And, and I'll speak to the rest of the country. We'll be one big happy partnership. Meanwhile, Fauci's over there creating his own uh, Vichy government right underneath Nut Trump's nose and, and ends up usurping his authority altogether repeatedly. And he never got it back. And so this is, again, where where are we with him? And I think if nothing else, it is vital for Ron DeSantis to be in the race to help us get an answer to that. Mm. Because if you think if you think keeping Trump on message is difficult now on a daily basis and not making it all about himself now, if he didn't have a legitimate opponent, if his opponents were all the other dwarf candidates who are irrelevant, then this would only be about him all of the time. And so I, I, I think when you're, you know, it, it's, it's, it is good to have competition. All right, quick break from that conversation to tell you about our next sponsor, and that is Preborn. So we are still celebrating the one-year anniversary of the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Abortions have been reduced dramatically in this country over the past year, and we should absolutely, unabashedly, unequivocally be praising God for that. And we can take part in that. We can take part in women choosing life. One great way to help women make that informed and wise and godly decision, selfless decision, is to help them get a free sonogram. That's why the preborn network of clinics exist. They provide women with lots of resources, but one of the greatest and game most game-changing resources they provide women with is that free sonogram. So what you can do is you can consider donating $64, $64 to cover the cost of these 
sonograms for these women who are walking in. They want to be able to see their baby. They want to hear the baby's heartbeat. Once they see that humanity, they're much more likely to not get an abortion. So we can play a very real part in saving the lives of these vulnerable children by donating to preborn. You can go to or you can dial pound 250, say the keyword baby, or you can go to preborn.com slash Allie. That's preborn.com slash Allie. Donate whatever you can today. If you can't do $64 today, maybe $28, maybe something less, whatever you can do, it makes a difference. Go to preborn.com slash Allie to donate preborn.com slash Allie. Okay, let's analyze for a second. One of Trump's recent posts on Truth Social um, that, you know, I started thinking about this. I have thoughts on it. I know you have thoughts on it. And my first reaction was this is dumb, but it does present an interesting question. So here's what he posted. <laughs> president Joe Biden and every living president except Donald Trump are direct descendants of slaveholders. Jimmy Carter, George W. Bush, Bill Clinton, and through his white mother's side, Barack Obama. This is from Reuters. He says, I hope that every African-American in our country is reading this right now. All caps. Remember. <laughs> OK, so my first thought is that, wow, that is so dumb. That's so dumb. We spent all of 2020 saying, no, we're not on the hook for the sins or even perceived sins of our ancestors. Obviously. Slavery, chattel slavery was an egregious sin, but some of the things that, you know, white people are accused of, of, you know, systematically being responsible for all oppression of black and brown people, ridiculous assertion, mm -hmm. um, but then saying, mm -hmm. you know, we're on the hook for our ancestors, not just even our ancestors, but just people who might have looked like us a long time ago in the same relative region like so we've spent a lot of time saying that's not biblical that's not moral that's not practical we shouldn't try to inculcate that in our legal system and here is the here is the former president republican president of the united states saying no actually it does make me better it does make me better it makes me worth voting for black people because apparently his ancestors were not slaveholder. So on that end, it's dumb. But on the other hand, I'm like, okay, but what would a progressive say to this? Why wouldn't they care about this? Because they've also been saying for the past several years that this kind of stuff absolutely does matter, that we are condemned because of the sins, not just of our ancestors, but white people who lived in America 200 years ago. And we need to dismantle everything that had a hint of white supremacy in it 300 years ago, except for Planned Parenthood and except for Joe Biden. I guess. So in that sense, it is kind of interesting. Like, how would progressives respond to this? Why doesn't it matter in his case? And why does it matter in other cases? But on the surface, it's really just kind of dumb. It's not an effective tactic. It's not going to make black people vote for him. I think this is symbolic of the potential and the pitfalls of Donald Trump. And, and Ali, worldview is destiny. If, if your audience remembers nothing else I have, I'm going to say on your episode today, remember that. Worldview is destiny. No man can rise above their own worldview. No one can run from their own worldview. Worldview is destiny. And so there is potential in this statement as you articulated in the second half. And that would require, though, you'd have to pivot to an outcome. 
he'd have to have a capable staff. Right now, Donald Trump's inner sanctum at Mar-a-Lago is Lindsey Graham and Laura Loomer. Good luck with that. All right. So a complete and total sellout and a nutter. Okay, that's essentially his his staff, his inner circle, those types of people, people who will feed his worst instincts and then people who will actually try to take his best instincts and uh, and and make them null and void. That's who he's surrounded by. And there's no cogent because he has no cogent worldview. So it's it's the it's the it's the it's the uh, the the commentary that Tucker mentioned the other night that Donald Trump is subject to his to being flattered, to letting people in who will just flatter him and tell him what he wants to hear. That's a very Saulian instinct by by the way. Uh, and, and, and so because of that, there, he, he could, that statement could be used to say, to then have a, a campaign, a team, then turn and message that and say, so why did, no wonder voting for these people for the, the same party decade after decade, generation after generation didn't work. Okay. No wonder it didn't work. Why did you think by your own standard, it doesn't work. They're the ones actually connected to the very systemic white supremacy that you claim to be against. And here are the itemized policies that you keep voting for. They don't care about you ever leaving your station in life or improving it. They don't care about you. You're chattel. You're just another form of chattel to them. You're a, you're a political slave. You're a political indentured servant. Uh, You're just there to serve on their plantation every election day. And then the rest of the time, they don't care about you. You could do that with with a staff or in a, in a, in a worldview that with precision executes your belief system. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have that. And he didn't have that very often during his own presidency. And so instead, these things often, this is an example of something he will say that will absolutely max lit the other side, put him on max lit. They're constantly fired up, but then there's no deliverance to us. And so our base energy never responds to theirs. Instead, he will follow this up with jailbreak, the first step back. Uh, Right, exactly. Okay, so now we're just going to do mass purging of people in prison to show I'm not racist. Hmm. Okay, which is it here? And I think that that again, there's no the worldview is art of the deal. Whom whom offers Trump the best deal as but it's but it's but it's plumb line is what's best for Trump most of all. I, I, I think at his core, if you look at the long and he's had a long life and a lot of it in, in the public. I think there are, there are two principles that guide Trump's art of the deal. Number one, himself and his own self-interest. And then number two, I do think he loves America. I, I've described, I think he's a patriotic narcissist. And, and it, it, thankfully, there are plenty of times where what's in his self-interest also happens to be in ours. But, but ultimately, transactionalism is not any, you can't have any form of long-term relationship based on that because someone will come along without conviction in their worldview. Some pressure will be applied, like what happened with COVID. Uh, some better deal will be offered, um, like his previous wives experienced. Some better deal will be offered. Some external pressure will be applied. And that same ego will say, well, it's within my self-interest to take this offer and exactly. this deal now. Exactly. It's the lack of the cogent worldview. And so no moral foundation or transcendent reason to do the right thing. The right thing Correct. changes yeah. based on his own interest. And it's all based on, on instinct. Cal- it's based on instinct. What he's offended by at that time. Right. Yeah. Right. He's not the only politician. Certainly. He's not Correct. unique in that in that way. Um, and then the other one is, as you mentioned, caring too much what people think. Honestly, at the end of the day, I still think he cares what the New York Times thinks. I still think he cares about what people would have said if he had fired Dr. Fauci. Like, I don't think that... Oh, I don't think there's any question. I don't want to yes. break a confidence. I won't. But I will say, I will say first, I have firsthand knowledge 
firsthand knowledge of how much Donald Trump craves the approval of Maggie Haberman at the New York Times. Yeah. And I'll just leave it at that. I've, I've witnessed it firsthand and I won't say anymore. And you know what? I, I mean, I, I'm not sure that I like with the, that's one thing that people love about DeSantis is that it doesn't seem like he does care. I mean, I it seems like he got a lot of flack from donors over the Disney thing, over the abortion thing, over fighting these culture wars. And I've heard people say, oh, we don't want him to fight the culture wars, but he has a really good finger on the on, on the pulse of what most voters actually want. And he's willing to say to some donors, look, I know you don't like this Disney thing. I'm sorry. You're going to have to stuff it. I know you don't like this abortion law. You think it's too extreme. I'm sorry. You're going to have to stuff it. Like we've already we've already seen Donald Trump say, oh, that abortion law in Florida, it's just a little too radical because he saw some pushback that DeSantis got. And he's thinking, how can I ingratiate myself to the people who are mad at DeSantis for that, which is stupid. It's a stupid strategy. Those people aren't going to vote for you, Donald right, Trump. Right. So that's that's my right. fear. That's my fear that this whole personal vendetta thing. You said that you liked the idea of him having, you know, blood in his mouth, chip on his shoulder. I do, too. But if, if his, it's directed to the right outcome, the right yes, outcome. Exactly. That's that's what matters. And also, if your vendetta ends in destroying bad things. Yes. If your vendetta is to make those people like you who tried to destroy you. Well, then I'm not Correct. interested in your vendetta. I'm not interested in that. Okay, can you very I know quickly- we're I know we're I, I know we're getting to the end of time. Can we let's talk about DeSantis for <laughs> and, just a and second. Probably more as ways a than one. Go ahead. Okay. Because I, I think the challenge for Ron DeSantis is the is 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 the quote unquote vision thing. Is what's the vision for America? And I, I say this as someone who was, is, is a, it was absolutely an endorsing of him running as a candidate because it's the most, he has, he has proven uh, to, to succeed with the most ruthless, ruthlessly efficient deployment of my worldview politically I've ever seen. Maybe like in modern history. Yeah. Here's the problem though, on, on the flip side. And, and I tend to look at things, I'm both an ideologue, but I'm someone that's worked on campaigns. And so I look at it both from the nuts and bolts and the, on the ideological side, he's like the fulfillment of prophecy. <laughs> okay. But if I were working in that campaign, my frustration would be, I can't put ruthlessly, efficiently deploys your worldview on a sign. I, I can't put his I can't put his seven step comprehensive immigration plan on a sign. I can put build a wall on a sign. I, I can put what he said the other day, stone cold dead. I can put that on a sign. The crowd will cheer stone cold dead. The crowd will fall asleep with your seven point plan. Now you better have that to execute it, but you can't, that's, that's not a, that's not a campaign message. And I think his, he's got to, he's got to figure out ultimately what is the rallying cry like build a wall, make America great again, forward, um, putting people first, okay, the, the, you know, a chicken in every pot. What is the rallying cry of the DeSantis campaign? Like to me, I look at, I look at what he has done. I'll just tell you what he's done. Uh, he's the political embodiment of mess around and find out, okay? Disney messed around, found out. Democrats messed around, found out. Lots of people in Florida messed around. Republicans who didn't want to do any of this stuff when Rick Scott was governor and for the last 20 years in the legislature, they messed around. They found out. Dude, I would, put, I would take mess around and find out. I'd not only put that sign in my yard alley, I'd mow it into my yard. I'd mow that into my grass <laughs> so that when you flew over it, you could see it on Google Earth. Mm-hmm. He's got to figure out what is the rallying cry. Not what is the purpose, not what is the, 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 the policy 
outcome, but what is the rallying cry for my candidacy to capture the imagination? And he's, and he's up against someone who's masterful at casting that kind of vision. Yes. Okay. I've got you for maybe a minute and a half left. Hunter Biden, go. I don't even know what to say to, to watch <laughs> from Nicholas Kristoff and, and to oh, what's yeah. your face on the view. Anna this Navarra. is an act of, 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 you know, this is a father's love. Indeed. I mean, the, how many crack addicts just couldn't help themselves uh, to shake the shy down for even, I mean, this is, uh, it's beyond cultic. It's disturbing. And, and I go back again to, you know, not hiring the best people. Bill Barr, you know, he defied an opportunity to appoint a, a special counsel into Hunter Biden. Didn't think the evidence was there, despite the existence of that laptop. Uh, and so here we are. And, and in many respects, Trump's greatest benefit as a candidate are his enemies. And this is an example. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thanks so much, Steve. Thank you for your analysis. Everyone go check out Steve's show, the Steve Dates show. Amazing insight as always. Thanks so much, Steve. You bet anytime, Allie. God bless. Take care. You too. Last sponsor for the day before we finish out this episode with a couple more important stories is Constitution Wealth. So Constitution Wealth aims to empower empower American patriots through wealth management services, such as investing, financial planning, and charitable giving. Constitution Wealth is awesome because they believe that you can invest your capital without investing in and supporting companies that aid the kinds of industries that you don't want to be a part of, whether it's the tobacco industry, the abortion industry, or industries that just support ideals that conflict with your core values. That can be very hard to navigate if you're working with an investment wealth management company that doesn't align with you, that doesn't share your principles. You might feel like you're trying to have these awkward conversations with someone that you know doesn't agree with you. You don't have to worry about that if you're working with the people at Constitution Wealth because they're pro-life too. They love America too. They're supporting the things that you support. And when it comes to how we invest our money, how we steward our money, it's really important that we are working with people and that people are managing our money that actually believe in the things that you and I do. So this is a Christian conservative wealth management company and related gals listening to this and related bros, like you're not making these decisions by yourself. This is a big conversation to have how you're going to invest your money. So make sure you get with your wife, you get with your husband, you sit down, you have a conversation about what wealth management strategies you have in place right now and how Constitution Wealth may be a great solution for you. Go to constitutionwealth.com slash Allie, schedule a free consultation, no obligation. You will love talking to these guys. Constitutionwealth.com slash Allie, constitutionwealth.com slash Allie. Okay, so big news out of the Supreme Court this morning. A Supreme Court affirmative action case was just decided at about 9.15 a.m. Central, 10.15 Eastern Time. This, uh, the U.S. Supreme Court handed down a major ruling on affirmative action, rejecting the use of race as a factor in college admissions as a violation of the 14th Amendment's Equal Protection Clause. Guys, we have had affirmative action in this country for decades. You heard Steve mention that briefly. So this is a huge deal. Students for Fair Admissions, a student activist group, brought cases against both Harvard and the University of North Carolina, 
The group initially sued Harvard College in 2014 for violating Title VI of the Civil Rights Act, which prohibits discrimination on the basis of race, color, or national origin in any program or activity that receives federal funds or other federal financial assistance. The complaint against Harvard alleged that the school's practices penalized specifically Asian American students and that they failed to employ race neutral practices. Of course, I mean, entities have been doing this for a very long time and legally. The North Carolina uh, case raised the issue of whether the university could reject the use of non-race-based practices without showing that they would bring down the school's academic quality or negatively impact the benefits gained from campus diversity. Uh, So the six conservatives, Chief Justice John Roberts, if you can call him a conservative, not really. Uh, But he's kind of unpredictable. The associate justices, Clarence Thomas, Neil Gorsuch, Brett Brett Kavanaugh, Amy Coney Barrett, voted for the decision striking down those schools' race-conscious admissions policies, while the three liberals, Kagan, Sotomayor, Ketanji Brown-Jackson, dissented. Uh, Justice Ketanji Brown-Jackson recused herself from the Harvard case, actually, uh, due to her previous role on Harvard's board of overseers. So uh, this is really, really interesting and um, exciting. Now, I saw Orrin McIntyre point out that universities have already been anticipating this decision. And so they have started to shift their standards. They've started to lower their standards and say, oh, we are no longer, I saw this actually, several Ivy League schools are saying, we're no longer going to allow things like the SAT to carry so much weight. Instead, we are going to be placing more weight on things like extracurricular activities. Now, who does that indirectly, or I guess directly, but in but uh, in a non-overt way, penalize. It typically will penalize the Asian American students uh, who do have, in general, a heavy emphasis when it comes to their academics on the actual uh, scholastic academic portion of their education rather than the extracurriculars. And that's a general statement that has actually been made by some of these administrators and some of these people on these college boards at these Ivy Leagues. And so they are already trying to change the standards to ensure um, that they can still, without saying that they are, give preferential treatment to black and brown students who statistically, okay, don't get bad at me, statistically do not score as well on the standardized tests and even uh, have as high of a GPA as the white and the Asian students who are applying. And so as the universities start to shift the standards around, they can say, well, it has nothing to do with race, but really they are considering all of the factors that would help the Black and Hispanic students get in and would actually make it a little bit more difficult for the white and Asian students to get in. Um, Clarence Thomas said this. I saw Samuel say, uh, tweet this out. It is not even theoretically possible to help a certain racial group without causing harm to members of other racial groups. And of course, what he means by that is what Thomas Sowell talks about in the quest for cosmic justice, which I could not recommend to you more. If you've been listening to this podcast for any amount of time, then you know that. You've heard me say that a million times, as well as discrimination 
uh, and disparities by Thomas Sowell. Uh, but he makes this case that basically the social engineering that comes from the top down that says, oh, we are going to lift up the marginalized. We are going to lift up the black and brown in this country. They've never been able to accomplish that without trying to hold back the groups that they see as privileged that they see as having too much opportunity, too much success, too much wealth, too much safety. In order to lift this one group up that they say have been victims of the system, they have to hold this group back in an attempt to not make an even playing field, but to provide equal outcomes, um, which is not only wrong, it's immoral, it's showing partiality, uh, it's also impossible. It is impossible to force equal outcomes, certainly without penalizing one group. But also, I mean, it's just, it, it never works. It never works without supreme oppression of everyone. That's why communism never works. Forcing individuals, forcing groups to only be able to reach a certain outcome is a form of communism. It's also known today as social justice that is impossible without oppression and repression of certain people. Um, as Thomas Sowell points out, if you cannot even guarantee the equal outcomes of two siblings of the same ethnicity, of the same upbringing, of the same background, the same socioeconomic class, how in the world are you going to guarantee the equal outcomes of two people who live totally different lives from uh, across the country from each other with different backgrounds, different upbringings, different talents, different strengths? Individuals bring different things to the table. We're not all the same. And so the only fair thing that you can do is to say, this is the standard, no matter your skin color, no matter your background, this is what you have to reach. Now we can provide tools to help you reach this standard. We can do everything that we can to help you work hard, to make sure that you are completely prepared to um, to excel and to reach the standards that we have set for admissions or for employment or for passing this test, whatever it is, but we are not going to lower the standards so that you uh, can reach them because that takes everyone down to the lowest common denominator, which of course, it has implications and everything. It has implications of what kind of doctors we get, what kind of nurses we get, what kind of teachers we get, what kind of lawyers we get, what kind of politicians we get. If the standards are lowered in college, they have to be lowered than in employment. They have to be lowered than in everything. And you see the ripple effect there that we end up being a cakeistocracy. A cakeistocracy is uh, a society that's run by idiots. That's not good, right? Uh, so Clarence Thomas, I knew that he would have uh, a lot of great insight on this uh, because he is amazing and I love everything that he says. Um probably not everything. I'm sure that there's something that he said that I disagree with, but I haven't I haven't read it yet. Here's something else um, that Justice Thomas said in his concurrence. He said this, both experience and logic have vindicated the Constitution's colorblind rule and confirmed that the university's new narrative cannot stand. Harvard and UNC now forthrightly state that they racially discriminate when it comes to admitting students, arguing that such discrimination is consistent with this court's precedence. And they, along with today's dissenters, defend that discrimination as good. More broadly, it is becoming increasingly clear that discrimination on the basis of race, often packaged as affirmative action or equity programs, are based on the benighted notion that it is possible to tell when discrimination helps rather than hurts racial minorities. So before we end the segment, let me just give you an example. And this is this was tweeted out by Greg 
price of just how insane these admissions policies had gotten, um, particularly at Harvard. An African-American student in the 40th percentile of their academic index is more likely to get into Harvard than an Asian student in the 100th percentile. Uh, Black students in the 50th percentile are more likely to get in than white students at the very top. Harvard's admissions data revealed astonishing racial disparities in admission rates among similarly qualified applicants. Um, So, I mean, that's that's part of what created this decision uh, is the obvious racism, the obvious discrimination. And all of us have to pay the price for that. Again, the ripple effects are devastating when we think about that people are allowed into these Ivy League schools who really have no business being there because they weren't able to reach the standard. And then they fulfill professions that have an effect on all of our lives, like in really, really impactful ways, especially when we're talking about surgeons and things like that. Okay, so I just wanted to briefly cover that. Um, Crazy story. Good. I don't know how actually it'll shake out at the end of the day, but um, absolutely a win for actual equality rather than the newfangled equity that progressives are always trying to push and never, ever works. Never, ever works. Okay. I just wanted to briefly talk about this Chrissy Teigen story, uh, which you guys have probably seen that she announced that she had her fourth child uh, birthed through surrogacy just the other day. Now, you may be a little bit confused because she actually birthed her own child or she she birthed her own child herself five months ago, and now she has another child that was birthed via surrogacy. She has two other children. You may remember a couple years ago, she went through this very tragic loss, such a tragic loss. It was um, far into her pregnancy. Her body just wouldn't cooperate, apparently, according to what she said. And she lost her baby. Absolutely terrible. People were very cruel to her online about this, basically saying, you're making it all about you. Why did you post these pictures? I really hated that for her. I felt for her. I don't know her at all. But I really felt for her during that time because that is just one of that. That's the worst pain, really, that I can even imagine as a parent. And even though I haven't been in that exact situation because I'm a mom, I can imagine how much pain she went through. And so she felt that I guess she had to get a surrogate this time. Um, so here's here's how she explains it. She said that she's always wanted four children. And she says, after losing her baby, Jack, I didn't think I'd be able to carry any more babies on my own. To be honest, I've personally blocked that a lot of my mindset during that time. In 2021, we reached out to a surrogacy agency with our first correspondent inquiring about perhaps having two tandem surrogates to give us a healthy boy and a healthy girl, so twins, so two wombs to be rented there. Uh, At some point early in our surrogacy journey, I came out of a therapy session and she decided, she told her husband, John Legend, that she wanted to actually try to carry a baby again. And so they started the IVF process. Um... They went through IVF with their first two children and they made new embryos. They did a transfer. Uh, They were so happy to learn that it worked. They were pregnant with their little girl that they had a few months ago, Esty. But around this same time, they also met a surrogate. Her name is Alexandra. The surrogate agreed to... um, Uh, to work with them. The first embryo that they tried to transfer with this surrogate didn't survive. Um, And then she said that the surrogate fought so hard to get her body ready for a second 
transfer. And uh, then around the end of Chrissy's first trimester with her pregnancy, they found out that their surrogate was also pregnant. She said that they've become friends. And then she said just minutes before midnight on June 19th, I got to witness the most beautiful woman, my friend, our surrogate, give birth amidst a bit of chaos, but with strength and pure joy and love. Um, And so precious child, made in the image of God, as all of her children are. I'm sure Chrissy and John very much love their children. And I'm sure it did seem like a very beautiful and redemptive process. But the fact of the matter is, is that surrogacy is still the exploitation of female bodies. It is still prioritizing the wants of adults over the well-being of children. Because for nine months, like we know this from psychology, from physiology, we know this from scientific studies, that there is a bond that is created between the child and his mother or the woman carrying him um, during gestation, that he feels her heartbeat, knows her smell, knows the sights and the sounds of the life uh, that she is creating around her, and that the immediate instinct, that primal instinct when that baby is born is to attach himself or herself to the mother, to rest on the chest of the mother, to feel again that heartbeat that had become the familiar background thumping of that child's life for nine plus months. And in surrogacy, you are ripping that child purposely intending to, from conception, rip that child away from the woman, the body that he or she has bonded with for the previous nine months because you wanted to create a child, because the adult wanted to. And I don't think that we even put any thought into the psychological, mental, emotional, physical well-being of a child who is created in this way and then gestated in this way and then given to people who, as far as the child knows, Um, are strangers. And it's even worse, of course, when you have to buy the eggs from one woman, which this doesn't, this is not Chrissy Teigen, it's her own eggs, but you have to buy the eggs of one woman, rent the womb of another woman, as you do when it's two men going through the surrogacy process. And then you take that child away, not just from the biological mother who sold her eggs and not just from the woman who gestated the child with the womb that was rented, but you also take that child away from the uh, possibility of ever having a mother at all. And so there are even more ethical and moral problems when it comes to that. But even when it comes to this form of surrogacy, like it is still buying a body. It is still going through a process intentionally, intentionally going through a process that you know is a breakaway from the ideal for the healthy development of a child. And the only justification is that the parent wants to. I don't think that's a good enough reason to rent a womb and to take a child away from that natural process of birth and gestation. And the whole surrogacy industry is wrought with corruption. The contracts are um, very, uh, they can exploit these women. I don't know if that's true of this surrogacy. Uh, This surrogate situation sounds like they had a good relationship, but um, even so, I'm against surrogacy. I can sympathize absolutely with wanting to have a child by whatever means possible. I can sympathize with that. I can sympathize with the women who become surrogates, who think that they are uh, doing something that is selfless. But at the end of the day, um, 
this still is a process that we are manufacturing to fulfill adults' wants at the expense of children's needs. Um, and there's also, I mean, there are ethical issues too with IVF. I mean, it's a very high attrition rate. You are putting this living embryo, this little image bearer of God at a very high risk through the creation and the transfer and the gestation process. And that's a risk that adults, again, are willing to take with these little lives simply because of the desire to become parents. Um, I'm very thankful for Katie Faust, for Jennifer Lal, who have been spearheading this issue for such a long time. I've had them on my podcast uh, several times before. Um, I will give like I will give a shout out to Relatable because we were one of the and I'm very thankful for this. Like we were definitely one of the first conservative podcasts to talk about this. Back in 2020, we talked about birth control, IVF, surrogacy, and then have been beating this drum with the help of people who have been talking about it for a long time, uh, for the past few years. And when we first started talking about this, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, the, the conservatives that thought that I was crazy, the conservative Christians who thought that I was cruel and lacking compassion for talking about the ethics behind this stuff at all. And now it seems to have shifted. There's a lot of major conservative commentators that are now willing to talk about it, who a few years ago, I know, thought that I was a little crazy for talking about it, or I was, it was just like too much. Why would you care about that? Isn't it just pro-life to want to bring babies into the world? And now it seems like this is becoming a real conversation. So kudos to those who were talking about it long, long, long before I was. And kudos to those who have had the courage to start asking really tough questions, not to condemn these babies, certainly, or even the parents involved, but to say, there are questions that we're not asking, and for the sake of children, we need to. All right, I know that was a lot to cover today, but next week is going to be a little bit different because we've got pre-recorded uh, interviews with Nancy Piercy on Monday and Wednesday. Tuesday, we won't be here for the 4th of July celebrating the freedoms that we have in this still beautiful country that, is, yes, is broken, but we should still celebrate and be thankful for. And so we won't have a lot of days over the next week or so to talk about all these, and so I had to fit it into one episode. And then next Thursday, we'll be back with our regularly scheduled programming. And I'm sure that we'll have a lot to get into then. So that's what you have to look forward to next week. I hope everyone uh, has a wonderful weekend. We will see you back here Monday with Nancy Piercy. Mm -hmm.